0: Hello, and welcome to the Faith Church Podcast Channel. We exist to reach people and connect them to God and others. If you would like more information about Faith Church or would like to schedule a visit sometime, visit our website at www.igotofaith.com. We can only do what we do because of the generosity of our Faith Church family. If you would like to contribute to our ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at www.igotofaith.com and hit the giving tab. Or, you can text the amount of your contribution to 84321. Both of these options will send you to a safe and secure server. Your giving is much appreciated. Now get ready as our lead pastor, Steve Husky, starts a brand new series entitled Hashtag Life. All right, good morning, Faith Church. It's great to see everybody today. Hey, one more time, can we lift up a shout to Jesus? Because that's why we're here today, to honor the grace and the love and the salvation that he offers. Come on, every hand clapping. Come on, let's give it up for him. Jesus. Well, welcome, everybody. My name is Steve Husky. I'm the lead pastor, and we want to say welcome to all of our Faith Church family. It's great to have you here this weekend, and obviously, man, to all of our guests. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Man, our hope and desire each and every weekend is that God would just do something real in your heart, that we just believe that God is not about being in a building or in a box, but he gets into the hearts and lives of people and changes and transforms and brings grace and hope and peace, and you're probably sitting next to somebody who's experienced it. And so we just believe that God wants to touch your life and change your heart and do something really incredible. So open up, and let's get ready for a journey. Amen? Well, listen, um, I, uh, back in 2005, my wife and I, we bought our first brand-new car. Man, there's just something about rolling off the lot in a new car. Got that new car smell. You're real careful. You don't pull out in front of anybody cuz you don't want to scratch. Careful where you park it. And uh, the reason we went looking for new cars because in 2005 we had two daughters and God had just blessed us with our third child, a son. And so we were looking for a vehicle that could kind of, you know, ferry around these family of five and was comfortable, could kind of take us on vacation. And it was that time, we still live in this time, you know, kind of the family minivan was the hot thing. But I'm just going to be honest, I refused to sacrifice my manhood on the altar of the minivan. I had seen just way too many, right? I mean, I've just seen way too many dads driving to minivans and they got sunglasses on, hats pulled down. Looks like they've been neutered, right? And I just refused to do it. I, I just, I couldn't do it. But we needed something kind of roomy. And so we went looking and we found, my wife and I, we agreed, and this was our first brand-new car. It was a 2005 Chrysler Pacifica SUV. There were a lot of selling points. I mean, it had a lot of options and seating and the third row and, you know, all these cool things. But I'm just, telling you, I'm just telling you, the thing that sold it for me was that it said right on the sign, S-U-V. And so we went rolling, and, like, friends would see it, and they would see us, and they would say, Hey, man, Steve, that's a great minivan. Whoa, oh, 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 oh. It's not a minivan, dude. It's a SUV. And we would see family and friends, and, you know, family. Would be like, Oh, Steve, man, that's a really nice minivan. Hey, hey, mom, I love you, but watch it because this is an SUV. And so, man, I'm telling you, everywhere we went, people kept using the word minivan. I was offended and Finally, one probably about a year or so after we had it, we had a fuse go bad, and so we had to open up probably what most of you never open up the owner's manual. And right there in the owner's manual, I open it up and it said it right there on the front page you know, welcome to your brand new Chrysler Pacifica SUV, and in parentheses, sports utility van. <laughs> I'm telling you, I wanted to take Chrysler to court for false representation advertising. Pain and suffering, emotional damage to my manhood, I couldn't believe it. So, I can stand up here and admit that I, at one time, was a proud owner of a minivan. And uh, the minivan has been really an iconic symbol for years of the family. They're beginning to be faded out, but for years and years, when you see a minivan, you know, typically you think family. Rarely would you see just a single person driving a minivan. It's almost always owned by a family, driven by A family. So we thought, since the minivan was iconic of family, that we would use that same symbol in this series to represent your family and to represent my family. Because here's what we know: a couple things is we all have family. All of us in this room, we have family. Now your family might be different than my family, and my family might be different than your family. We have all kinds of diversities in this room. We have, um, you know, we have moms and dads, and we have marriages and second marriages, and we have kids and no kids and stepkids and you know, all of those dynamics, all of those blended families. But at the end of the day, again, I want you to know this. We all have families, number one. Number two, no matter where your family is, I know this and I believe this, that all of us want to have a strong, healthy family. Nobody's in a marriage. Nobody is in a relationship with their kids. It's going south. It's difficult and just says, oh, well, everybody wants a strong and healthy family. And so the purpose of this series, Hashtag Van Life, is to help us to navigate and figure out and to find out some principles and some ideas from God's word that we can apply to our minivan that we can put into practice in our family and have the families I believe God wants us to have. And so the challenge is, and I just want to really encourage you this, that no matter the condition of your minivan, no matter the state that you find your marriage, your relationship, your family, I believe this, that it's never too late to change the direction of your minivan. I believe with God's grace and God's help, and this is our prayer, through this series, that God would show up in your marriage, that God would show up in your home, that God would show up in your family, and he would do something incredible in your heart to make sure that your minivan is healthy for travel. So with that in mind, I I don't know about you guys, but when you look and you see different cars, vehicles advertised, especially when it comes to family vehicles, there's always one thing that kind of rises to the top that people, that, that car manufacturers tend to highlight, and that's the seating, isn't it? I mean, think about all the options. They almost always go, again, with family vehicles especially, with the seating. And they'll tell you about how many seats there are. They'll tell you about the third row. They'll tell you about how much legroom you have. And so it's true. It's true because the seating, the seating is a really big deal. But when it comes to the family vehicle, I want everybody to know the side of the gate. When it comes to your family vehicle, when it comes to my family, when it comes to our families, there's only really three things you need to know. And that is this, that there's only one driver's seat. There's only two seats in the front, and all the rest of the passengers go in the back. Now, that's going to be really important for where we go, and here's why. Because seating is one of the most important features when it comes to having a successful family. Seating is one of the most important features when it comes to having a successful family. What I mean by that, and you're going to see through today's message, is ultimately it's really important that you have the right people in the right seats if you want to have a healthy family. If you show me a family that's struggling, if you could sit down with me and tell me, hey, pastor, this is, we're having a hard time with our kids. We're not getting along in our marriage. Things are fragmented. If you were able to tell me that, I probably could take you and show you that probably you have the wrong person in the wrong seat or you have the right person in the right seat, but they're not really owning the seat. So seating, and you'll see what I mean by this, but seating is one of the most important features when it comes to having a successful family. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at the seating chart that God gives us in the New Testament, right? Because I'm just going to tell you this, you're going to see this, that God clearly lays out in his word, the Apostle Paul is speaking, and he's kind of letting us know who sits where in the family minivan, that who has what role, who has what position, who sits in what seat. And so as I identify you as dads and fathers and mothers and wives and kids, it's important that you figure out where you sit in the family minivan. Because again, seating. Is one of the most important things in order for you to have a successful family. I'm going to tell you this before I get into um, before I get into the seating plan. It's very old-fashioned. In fact, as I start to read these things, I know in today's generation you might hear what I'm saying and think, "Man, Pastor, that's that's so yesterday. That's so my parents or grandparents or great grandparents." And because I know very much that we live in a culture that has changed and shifted, and, and families have become very progressive, very diverse it may not look a lot like what we're going to talk about. But here's what I want you to know, and I believe this with all of my heart, and for you that are regulars here, you've heard me say this, that if you want God's best, you have to do it God's way. Because while we're looking back at this information saying that's very traditional information, the people that the Apostle Paul wrote this information to in the first century, it was very new information. They were looking forward, and they had never seen families built this way. In fact, let me just give you some input on families in the first century. Families in the first century looked something like this. Uh, men were absolutely 100% in charge. Wives were typically property. They had very little say. There was, you know, kind of the cat, dog, cattle, wife, and then husband. Um, divorce was rampant in their culture because it was very easy to get a divorce. Wives had no say in ever separating from a husband, But a husband, at any time they felt like, could go to their spouse. They didn't have to go to a judge, and they would say this, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, and that's it. They were done. So divorce was rampant. Abuse, uh, not so much physical abuse, but especially what we would consider today emotional abuse for wives and kids was rampant in homes. Not only were wives considered property, but kids were pretty much slaves, which I kind of buy into that model myself, but... (laughs) Kids were kind of slaves. Again, they didn't really have a role in the home. They weren't really seen as value until they reached, at that time, what was considered adulthood, which was around 14 years of age. And if the dad, who had the property, looked at his kid and didn't think his kid was responsible enough to take the family inheritance, then the dad would adopt another kid to leave his stuff to, which isn't really such a bad model, right? But again, so here's, as the Apostle Paul's writing out kind of God's instruction for how families should be formed, and who sits in what seat in the family minivan, they're looking at it saying, hey, that's not our culture. That's not how we do things. But as they began to embrace this model, they began to experience what health really looks like in God's eyes. And so the same way they look forward, again, we're looking backwards and why this might be foreign or unfamiliar or something currently you're not walking. And what I want to do today is just look at where we should be seating and what it should look like. So let's jump in. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, everybody read this with me. Children, obey your parents. Come on, parents, you've got to shout that like you've been meaning for a long time. Come on, children, obey your parents. Wow, what what a novel idea, right? Well, here's why. Because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. And I want you to know this, that, and all of us remember this when we're kids, and I believe this is, this is true right here. If you're still living at home, if you're 6, 16, or 26, at some point you got to move out, but if you're 26, it's okay. <laughs> but, but at the end of the day, obey your parents, and here's why. Because a lot of the anxiety that we faced as kids, and I think you'll look back over your shoulder and you remember this, was kind of our fight for independence, wasn't it? Like, if, if my mom would just let me do what I want, if she would just let me hang out with who I wanted, if she would just get off my back about my homework, like, if they would just let me live my life, we would be at peace. But a lot of the strife that's in the home between parents and kids is because children don't want to listen to their parents. And so God steps in and says, hey, hey, hey listen, if you want a healthy family, kids, if you want to live in a healthy environment, it starts with you children obeying your parents. And he goes on, he tells them this, in honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with promise. The word honor is really important here. The word honor means to recognize, to give value, to give worth. And I just need some parents to help me today because as kids, sometimes we fail to recognize that our parents have been places we were gonna be. They've made decisions that we're one day gonna make. They know things that we don't yet know and they're trying to pass that wisdom backwards. But as young, arrogant children, teenagers, we fight against it. But he says, you need to recognize that your parents have value and they can contribute to your success into adulthood. So honor them. And if you honor them, it'll make it really easy to obey them. He goes on, he says this. This is my favorite scripture in all the Bible, if you wondered. <laughs> Men shouted with me, wives, submit to your husband. <laughs> Men are like this. <laughs> Come on, man up. Wives, look, just look at him and say, like, baby, listen, submit. I can say it because I'm way up here. <laughs> wives, submit to your husbands. And this is interesting, watch this, as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Now, this is something, again, that this is what God's idea of what family looks like. Now, again, I know this is, this is traditional. I know that this is very unfamiliar. I know this is not a popular idea in our culture because, for the most part, this verse has been very hijacked and very twisted. And I just want to tell you what it doesn't mean. It does not mean that wives are to be just bullied by their husbands and be doormats to, um, to tyrants. That's not what it means. What it means is the Apostle Paul is trying to speak unity in the family. Because the same way in a family vehicle, there's only one steering wheel. There can only be one steering wheel in the family. And if you have, think about it, on every football team, there's one head coach. In every business, there's one CEO. And at the end of the day, in every dynamic of decision-making, one person ultimately has the final say. And what God is saying is if two people are wrestling for control, there will always be tension and dissension. So at the end of the day, wives recognize that the husbands are called to have the leadership role in the home, and your role is to support them and to love them and to help them, which means, watch this, not any, any authority is perfect. And your, your husband certainly may not be perfect. But nonetheless, ultimately what God is saying is, listen, when, there, when you cannot reach a consensus together, then wives yield to the decision of the husband because they have authority in the home. And then it says this. This is a good one. Come on, husbands, right here. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Now, again, this is, this, this is a really powerful verse because at the time that this was written, Right again, wives were property, wives were abused, wives were there just to serve and to be silent and to meet the needs of the husband, and that's it. And so Paul steps on the scene and says, hey, listen, hey, if you're gonna be a Christ follower, if you're gonna do things God's way, if you want the family and the home that God wants you to have, then husbands, you gotta love your wives. Which I talk to husbands all the time that give up way too easy on their wives. They give up way too easy on their marriages. In fact, there was a... There was a guy who wrote and put on Craigslist, um, "Wife wanted," like he just put it out there. The next day, he opened up his Craigslist, and man, he had hundreds of responses, and he was excited to find the one for him. He started reading these responses, and they were all identical. It was all from men saying, "You can have mine," <laughs> because again, men, men give way up way too easy. Now, here, this is important. Everybody say, "Love your wives." Come on, men, say it. Love your wives. Now this word, there are several different words in the original Greek language that point to what it means to love. And one is eros. It's erotic. It's bow, chicky, chicky, bow, wow. (laughs) That's not this. Guys, I know you want it to be that. It's not that. There's Greek word phileo, where the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, that, you know, I think relationships should be friendships. I think your, your spouse should be your best friend. That's not this. This word that husbands are commanding us to love our wives with is the word agape. It's the same love that Christ has for us, which means when we didn't deserve the love, in fact, when we were unlovable, God didn't love us because we earned it or we deserved it. He gave it to us sacrificially, even when we didn't deserve it. And God says, husbands, listen, when your wives are getting on your nerves, when they are aggravating you, when they're not doing what you think they should do, when when they're not meeting your needs the way you think they should be meeting them, then you love them anyways. It's not a feeling. It's a commitment. It's not something they earned. It's something that's a sacrifice that husbands should freely. Give. And then he says this, and never treat them harshly. Now, again, this is back in this time, this was, hey, you 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 beat your animal, you beat your wife. Apostle Paul steps on the scene and says, Hey, if you're going to be a Christ follower and you want the home God wants you to have, something's got to change. So he says, Hey, never treat your spouse, never treat your wife harshly. This word harshly is really interesting because it comes from the root word to pierce. And I know a lot of men. Through their words and through their actions and through the the way they treat their wife, they pierce the heart of their bride. So God said, hey, be careful in the way that you treat your wives. He goes on and says this, and fathers, watch this, fathers do not aggravate your children or they'll become discouraged. This is my least favorite verse because this is why I love parenting because I get to aggravate my kids. Come on, dads, anybody here know what I'm talking about? Here's what he's saying, though. He's saying, hey, listen. What gives this context is really to look at the next part. He says, hey, if you keep doing this, they're going to become discouraged. What he's saying is this. He's saying there's a lot of things that kids need from parents, especially from dads. But dads, I want you to hear this. There's one primary thing that you need to continually and consistently give your child, and that's acceptance. And while it's our role at times to bring discipline and we want them to aspire to greatness and we want them to work hard to bring home good grades and we wanna push them on the ball field so hey, they're the quarterback, they're the starter, that they're getting straight A's, they're getting the scholarship and we keep pushing them and correcting them and directing them and I think that's an important important part of parenting. He's saying, if you're not careful, your words will be so heavy and so weighty that you'll crush their spirit. That's what that means. He says, you'll overwhelm them and while you're just trying to get them to do right, what they wanna know is, Will you accept me if I do wrong? If I come off the bench, will you still accept me? If I don't make the team, will you still accept me? If I bring home a C and not an A, will you still accept me? Because there are kids today who are no longer kids, they're grown adults, but they wonder, did my dad ever accept me? And there's something about the weight and the responsibility that we carry as fathers to make sure our children know we love them and we accept them and we embrace them right where they are, not by what they do. Wow what a heavy responsibility. He goes on, he says this, watch. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Everybody shout honor. Honor. The word honor, again, it goes back to what we talked about earlier. It means to see value. Like your wife is not property. She's not your maid. She's not your servant. You have to see that she adds value to you. This is such an important concept. Everybody listen to this. Do you know your wife can add value to you that nobody else can add value? No one else can add value like them. I mean, your friends can't add value to you the way your wife can. Your homeboys can't add value to you. Your parents can't. Your best friends can't. In fact, hear this. Even Christ himself cannot add the value to you that your wife can. You say, what do you mean? Because all the way back in the beginning of creation, when God had a perfect relationship with man, he looked at him and said, you know what? Things aren't there yet. It's not good yet. I want to make a helpmate for you. And in the moment Adam got Eve, that's when he was complete because a wife adds honor and value to a man. And we have to recognize how important and special our spouse is and when you lose focus of the value of your wife the relationship will begin to deteriorate so he says this treat your wife with understanding like with consideration recognize just not your needs but their needs as you live together watch this and she might be weaker than you are but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life everybody shout equal so do you notice how this is panning out I mean, this is so big, and he's saying this again. In the first century, again, wives were property, children were slaves, and the apostle Paul, he's saying, hey, I want everybody to know this, that men and women and children and, and adults... Doesn't matter where you are, you're all. we all find equality at the cross of Calvary. Jesus declared that every single person was of equal worth, regardless of their background, regardless of where they are, regardless of where they're headed, regardless of decisions they make, regardless whether they're a man, woman, or child. We all have the same value at the cross of Calvary because Jesus died for all of us at the cross. And anytime we think we're better than someone else, even in the home, we tend to disrupt the harmony and the health of the home. So we got to look around. We say, hey, you know what? Everybody here has equal worth. We just all take different seats. So if you're taking notes, watch this again. Watch. If you don't sit in your seat, your family will have limited success. So let's talk about the seating in case you didn't pick it up. Here, here's what the seating chart should look like. Dads are in the driver's seat, mom's rolling shotgun, and all the kids are in the back seat. Woo, write that down and we can pray and go home. Come on. Dads, husbands are in the driver's seat. Wives... Moms are rolling shotgun, and all the kids are in the back seat. And the reason that's really important is, again, if you don't sit in your seat, your family will have limited success. Again, he lays it out, what it looks like. Again, if you miss it, he's saying, hey, men, be very careful. With the authority you have and with the strength you have, It'll be so easy for you to pierce the heart of your wife. It'll be so easy for you to break the spirit of your children. So make sure you're aware of how you're treating those in your home. In fact, make sure, husband, you love your wives. Wives, make sure you're submitting to your husbands. Children, make sure you're obeying your parents, and parents, especially dads, make sure you don't aggravate your kids. And again, what that comes down to is a seating chart for the family minivan. The dads and husbands are in the driver's seat. Moms are rolling shotguns and kids are in the back seat. Let me just define that just a little bit. Dads, dads, your role, husbands, your role is this, that we are there to lead and feed. Everybody, all the men, shout lead and feed. Come on, I need to hear some bass in the room. All the men say lead and feed. Oh, I like that. Boy, did you hear that? Some of y'all have been in puberty and everything. Down, lead and feed. My son, he's not in here, so I can say this. His voice is changing like sometimes he'll talk and I think there's a grown man hiding in our house somewhere. It's crazy. Dad, I'm afraid of him now. He's starting to get big and I, I can't let him know I'm afraid. You can't ever let don't ever show fear. They'll pounce on you like a predator. Don't show fear. Just lay down and play dead. They'll go away. <laughs> I totally forgot where I was. <laughs> if you don't sit in your seat, your family we have limited success. Here's what I mean by sitting in your seat. Every seat, right, has its own dimensions, right? Everybody likes, especially when you go in the theater and you got the armrest. We didn't put the armrest in. We did put in cup holders. You're welcome, but no armrests. Like everybody has defined seating. And with that seat, listen, when you sit in your seat, you have responsibility in the seat you sit in. And if you don't own your seat, if you don't own your responsibility, your family will never have the health it could and should have. When I say dads, again, you're in the driver's seat, you lead and you feed. What that means is God very clearly throughout the word of God has given husbands, have given men the primary role of leadership in the home. It doesn't mean nobody else has any say to influence your leadership. What it means is you need to understand that God has required and put on our shoulders the responsibility to lead our wives and to lead our kids to be people of character and integrity to lead the spiritual journey of our home and to make sure that we're leading them in a direction that's healthy. And I'm just telling you, we live in a season and a time where way too many men are laid out in the third row and women are driving and you cannot have a healthy family unless everybody's sitting in the right seat. He says, not just lead. Again, you just don't have a responsibility and I just don't have, and it is a responsibility to lead our homes. But when I say feed, I don't mean that that women can't work outside of the home. I certainly don't mean that. Um, I know that that families, we've evolved and progressed. I think that's okay. When I say feed, I mean, again, that we're there the same way Paul admonishes us. Be very careful you don't pierce the heart. Husbands, I want you to really pull in. Be careful you don't pierce the heart of your bride. Be careful that you don't crush the spirit of your kids. When I say our responsibility is to lead and feed, what I mean is that you are there to speak life and hope and love into your wife and into your children. Because listen to me, if you don't speak into your wife, she'll find somebody who does. If you don't speak into her kids, husbands, listen to what I'm about to tell you. If you don't speak into your kids, especially your daughters, she will find a man who will. And I promise you, it most likely will be one that you don't want her to have. And so it's this weighty responsibility that we're in the driver's seat. We're there to lead and feed. And that's just not a role. That's just not a place of privilege. It's a place of responsibility. But also wives, come on, wives and women, Mothers, you are there to roll shotgun. Now I do Not about anybody else, but um, my wife and I, we've been married for almost 25 years. We dated for almost five years. We've been together for 30 years, which is crazy because I'm only 32. But <laughs> <laughs> 30 years, and this is true, probably in the 30 years we've been together and we've put hundreds and hundreds of thousands of miles on our cars. Um, I mean, I just like to drive and I just don't really like her to drive. And so, It really, very traditionally, I'm the driver in the car, but when she's on her side, I don't know if any other wives are this way, but I drive my wife crazy with my driving and she drives me crazy with her response to my driving. Cause she's like, look out, hold on. And she wishes she had a break and she's like, hold on, hold on. And I'm like, and this, anytime she says, hold on, my response is always the same. Babe, I see the 4,000 pound piece of metal with red blinking lights. I see it. But if I can just tell you this, listen to me, wives and mothers, wives and mothers, your role is to protect and direct. You were there to protect your husband, to look out for him. You have a viewpoint that nobody else has. And at times, while it's aggravated me that why my wife has, look out, look out, look out. If I can stand here humbly and honestly and tell you, she has kept me from accidents, not just on the road, but in life, because as my support, as my come alongside, as my good thing, she's been there and I value her input. Any husband that is above the input of his wife is at risk. But when we recognize that God has brought wives into our lives to help us to direct and to protect, and they're not there, just think about the seating. They're there in the front seat. They can see the windshield. They can also see the passengers, the kids in the back seat. And they can make sure they're dialoguing the needs of the kids to the dad so everybody's taken care of. Moms, you have an incredible role. You're natural nurturers, and it's important, but hear me. Never allow your natural desire to nurture your children to rise above the place of first being a partner to your husband. Anytime those two things get out of whack, you will have an unhealthy family. In fact, parents, especially moms, you don't sit in the back seat. Couples sit in the front seat together where they can communicate together, where they make decisions together, where they love and hold hands together. And that's a picture of marriage. That's a picture of doing life together. Even though the husband's the leader and the wife's in the support role, it's always done in the context of two. It's always done in, in, in harmony. It's always done pulling together. In fact, the same word that's used in the Old Testament to describe the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the word, echad, is the same word that describes husband and wife, that when a husband and wife get married, they come together and they become an echad. Even though there is, even though there is two different persons, they come together and they're, all, they're one. It's that same idea, and that's how we function. But I got to say this because this is really, really important. Listen to me. Adults don't sit in the back seat, and kids don't drive. I wish I had a microphone because I'd drop it right there. We live in a time and a season right now where, I'm, listen, like kids are driving all over the place. And you want to know if your kids are in control. You want to know if your kids are driving the family minivan. This is how you know it. If your children are sleeping in your bed at night, they're likely driving the minivan. I'm just going to let that one sit and soak for a minute. If your kids get what they want, even after you told them no, then your kids are probably driving the family minivan. If your kids are dictating the budget and the schedule of the family all the time, then it is most likely that your children are driving the minivan. And I'm just telling you, dads are in the driver's seat, mom's rolling shotgun, and say it with me, children are in the back. And any time you get the wrong person in the wrong seat, you will miss the harmony that God's intended for the family. And so the challenge is, again, listen to this. I know it's difficult, but you got to aim for the optimal while you live in the actual. Because here's what I know. Some of you are sitting here like, Pastor Steve, you're talking about like a husbands, and I don't even have a husband. We're divorced, and I'm raising my kids alone. And maybe you're here, and you're struggling through a second marriage, or you're trying to navigate, or maybe you're here, and you're a grandparent, and you're raising your grandkids. Your, your kids are not even involved, and you're trying to figure out and navigate life. These principles that I'm trying to tell you in the seating plan of the family minivan, it's the same. Which means if you are doing life alone right now and you are a single parent trying to raise kids or you are a grandparent trying to raise your grandchildren, it's still the same. Parents sit in the front seat and kids don't drive. Now, I know grandparents, like, that strips a lot of your authority away, but that's it. Parents sit, in, parents, parents sit up front, whether it's grandparents, single parents, or parents, they sit up front maybe you're here and, and your family dynamic is just totally different. Again, what I want you to hear is aim for the optimal while you live in the actual. What you have actually may not look anything like what I'm talking about, but keep striving for it. Keep pushing for it. How many people in the house here today are, you're kind of late people. Like you show up late for work. You're always rushing late to get to appointments. Come on. If we'll watch. In about 30 seconds, people are like, oh, because you're late people. How many people are late people? Come on, show me some hands. They're late people. Now, let me ask you a question. None of you raising your hand, none of you raising your hand ever like, oh, well, I'm just late, and you just give it. You always fight the clock, don't you? You still wake up. You're going to get up early the next day. You still hit snooze. You're going to be there on time. You're still racing. You know why? Because you're living in the actual, but you're still aiming for the optimal. I'm just telling you in your family, hear this. In the seating chart that God lays out in the New Testament for what our family should look like, men in the driver's seat, wives rolling shotgun, kids in the back, that may not be what your family looks like because you may be missing parts, or they may, right now, people are sitting in the wrong seat. I'm telling you, keep striving for the optimal. Keep looking to put God's plan in place in your home, and you will have God's best if you do it God's way. That's huge. That's huge. Let me, uh, let me just get ready to wrap this up. This is, this is big. I know this is true, and, and I think you all know this is true. For some reason, when things go south, whether it's in our home or in our family, in government, in our community, in our workplace, have you ever noticed when things start to go bad, we rarely take blame? We always point at someone else. I'm just telling you, I, in, I've been in full-time ministry since March of 1993. And I have counseled hundreds, hundreds of couples. I can count on one hand how many times a couple have ever come to see me and someone sat down in front of me, whether the husband or wife, and said, hey, listen, our marriage isn't doing very well, it's, it's on me. They don't. Wives come to see me to tell me how rotten and awful and difficult their husbands are, and husbands come and talk to me and tell me how awful and difficult and rotten their wives are. Everybody's pointing the finger at somebody else. And here's what I want you to know today. In the seating plan that God lays out in the New Testament, that husbands, again, in the role of leading and feeding, in the the role of being careful how you treat people and making sure you're speaking life and leading your family wives and submitting to your husbands and coming alongside of them and protecting the family unit and children and obeying your parents, here's what I want you to know is, if things are not the way you want them to be in your home right now, stop pointing the finger at what other people are or are not doing take responsibility for your role and your seat in the family minivan when things go wrong we often shift the blame rather than take responsibility Well, pastor listen if if my husband would love me the way you were just talking about man all he wants is like things his way and he's always pushing he doesn't treat me right pastor if he'd treat me the way you're talking about like I could submit to him No, no 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 We don't start with what other people are doing. We start with what God's called us to do. Well, Pastor, if my wife would submit to me, if she would support me, she's she's always backdooring me, going to the kids, and there's always tension in her home. Pastor, if my wife, no, 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 no. Husbands, I'm not talking about what your your wife's doing. I'm talking about what you're doing. Pastor, you don't understand. My parents, man, they're hard to get along with. They boss me around like they they don't trust me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I get it. I'm just telling you in our walk and in our journey and in our faith, in every aspect, especially with family, it doesn't start with our neighbor. It doesn't start down the road. It doesn't start with our husband, our wife, or our kids. It starts with, come on, say it, us. Last thing. So until you take serious responsibility, you cannot have strong relationships. So until, husbands, until you own your role, I'm gonna be a leader in my home I'm gonna be a man of character and integrity. I'm gonna set an example that my children are gonna be glad they can follow. I'm gonna gonna be the husband my wife wants to submit to. Wives, I'm gonna love my kids. I'm gonna support my husband. I'm gonna come alongside of him. I'm gonna build him up. I'm gonna join him in leading this house. We're not gonna aggravate our kids. We're not gonna beat them down with heavy words. We're gonna make sure they know that loved and accepted, regardless of grades, performance, sports. I'm gonna take responsibility for my seat in the family minivan. And if you'll do that, you'll be shocked what God can do to bring the health and the strength that every one of us wants for our family. So here's the question I want you to wrestle with this week. What's one thing you can do this week to sit in your seat to help your family have success? One thing this week that you can do, dads, husbands, moms, wives, kids, what's one thing you can do this week to sit in your seat to help your family succeed. I want to pray with you. Father, I pray, God, I know that there's people in this room, they came today because they're hopeless. Their marriage is falling apart. Their family is holding on by a thread. And God, they're just looking for an answer. And God, I pray ultimately they would look two directions. They would look to you and they would look to their own responsibility. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that God, your grace and your power and your love would begin to invade us and fill us and help us, and that, God, it would pour over onto our family members. I pray for every family represented here. I pray, God, for mixed families. I pray, God, for divorced families. I pray kids raising, being raised by grandkids. Lord, I pray every family represented here. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, God, help us to be healthier and stronger than we've ever been. And let it start with your grace, and let us follow through with our responsibilities. Father, we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody who agreed, said amen.